Today, our country faces serious challenges, challenges that require clear, informed thinking, thinking that's outside the box. Your host, Jeff Nyquist. To the ones that wear the uniforms, to the ones that lost their lives, to a nation that's been torn, God hears your painful cries. I will stand with you, my friend, for justice will amend America. I'm Jeff Nyquist, and tonight I have a very special program. I am conducting an interview with Viktor Kalashnikov and Marina Kalashnikov in Moscow. They are Russian journalists. Viktor Kalashnikov worked as a lieutenant colonel in the KGB. He also worked for the presidential administration of Boris Yeltsin. What's important about the Kalashnikovs is coming from inside the Soviet and Russian power structure, they confirm many of the things I've been trying to warn Americans about for the past 10 years. These things include the fact that the changes in Russia were compromised by the KGB, that the changes were not what they appeared to be, that Russian democracy was taken over by the KGB and used for purposes of deception and for modernization of the system of police state control in Russia, that Russia is militarizing and preparing for a future war against the United States, or as Marina Kalashnikov has told me, a number of small wars leading to a larger war with the United States. Of course, Russia does not want to immediately challenge the United States. It does not want to attack the United States while NATO still exists, while Europe would be embroiled in war. Russia would like to dominate Europe without a war in Europe. Russia would like to dominate Europe with a number of smaller wars and events and catastrophes that could overwhelm the United States and negate it as a world power, leaving the United States in a position where it is so weak that China and Russia together could dismember it and finish it off. The important thing about the threat from Russia is to understand the dynamic, the economic dynamic that is underway. It has long been said by Marxists, and especially Marxist-Leninists, that eventually the United States and the West, the capitalist world, will suffer a severe economic crisis. This is the crisis of capitalism that the Marxists have always waited for. The crisis foretold heralds the onset of the great world revolution in which communism takes over the entire world and capitalism is put down forever. It was Khrushchev who said that there will never be peace as long as there are any capitalists left in the West. They must all be eradicated. What we have in Russia is not a new democracy, a new capitalism ruled by capitalist oligarchs. What we have is a new kind of police state, guided at the top by people who are still following the old Soviet plan, which is to destroy capitalism, destroy the West, and destroy America. So it's very important to understand that this plan, which was described by KGB defector Anatoly Galitsyn in his 1984 book New Lies for Old, also involved the controlled collapse of communism, the apparent elimination of the police state, but all along the police state would remain in control. What you're going to hear from the Kalashnikovs tonight is that Russia basically is still under the old Soviet elite. It is still on a collision course with the United States. It is still hostile to the U.S. and determined to prevail in an ongoing Cold War. 
This is very important for Americans to understand because Americans are very naive about Russia. They think Russia is somehow their ally in the war on terror. But in reality, Russia is the origin point of modern global terrorism. It is the KGB that fostered, created, and educated a whole generation of terrorists in the third world and in the Muslim world. It is the KGB that has brought about the current situation in the world in which so many third world countries are at odds with the United States. It is Russia that is supporting Iran in creating its nuclear arsenal, supporting North Korea in its ambitions, supporting China in the creation of a blue water navy and a modern missile force. It is Russia which is animating all of America's enemies across the globe while putting out a hand of false friendship to the United States and saying, we want to be your partners. It is very important for Americans to understand this because our national survival is at stake. And when we talk to Russians who really know, who've been involved in the hierarchy in Russia, who see many of these things quite clearly because they're on the ground in Moscow, this adds to our overall picture and helps us to understand the things that have been told us by defectors, the things that are happening now, the collapse of America's nuclear arsenal as the Obama administration removes funding from defense and refuses to fund a new nuclear warhead project, and we move towards a smaller Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine Corps. As our economic problems worsen, the U.S. government is not spending more money on defense. It's taking money from defense and spending them on social programs. And this, in turn, is leading to the United States being divided between a left that wants to spend all the money and nationalize many of the businesses and the traditional American way, which is capitalism and freedom, economic freedom. And as this collision course goes, it's very interesting. There was recently an article by a Russian general who made the statement that the Russian government must be prepared to support President Obama in making certain changes within the United States. So putting all this into context helps us to understand what we're about to hear from the Kalashnikovs in Moscow. We'll be back with our guests after these messages. You're listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist. At 10.20 a.m. or WIBG.com, we're the area's first choice for Christian news talk and a whole lot more. WIBG 10.20, on your radio, online, or on your cellular. WIBG 10.20, we're everywhere. You're listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist. Viktor Kalashnikov is a former KGB lieutenant colonel who worked for Soviet intelligence before the fall of the Soviet Union. After leaving the KGB in 1992, he worked for the presidential administration of Boris Yeltsin. He also served as the Russian representative of a German oil company, and he began a career in journalism, which brought him into conflict with the Kremlin. He is currently working on a book about the changes that have taken place in Russia, and I want to give him a warm welcome to our program. Welcome to our program, Viktor Kalashnikov. Thank you. Victor, Americans thought that with the fall of the Soviet Union, they were going to see a democracy in Russia. Why do we see dictatorship in the construction of new missiles, new weapons, and new belligerents? Uh, first of all, let me still stress that the dissolution of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. let's take example of the Baltic states, the dissolution of the Soviet Union has allowed 
Uh, hopefully, Ukraine uh, is on its way towards uh, democracy and more prosperity. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as far as Russia is concerned, uh, there was no surprise that actually the uh, old system, it, its major features, survived the breakdown of the USSR. And so quite soon we see that uh, sort of restoration uh, started again. And so basically, the the forces of the USSR, the, especially the KGB, survived the the fall of communism and has basically reasserted itself. Uh, definitely so. Quite right. And was the KGB part of the democratic changes in Russia from the beginning? <laughs> uh, they were just manipulate uh, the so-called uh, uh, democratization and uh, we're able to use the political developments in Russia uh, for their own purposes. So they were keen to manipulate the changes and to use those changes for their own purposes. What would those purposes be? The purposes were first to find ways to become part of the new political system just to penetrate parliaments, governments, etc., etc., and to redistribute the national wealth for their own advantages, to become millionaires, billionaires, uh, the new uh, emerging oligarch. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, the KGB in, in the Soviet Union had agent networks and secret structures in all the former Soviet republics, so these could become active as forces in a struggle to guide the democratic changes in virtually all the former Soviet republics. Exactly, and that very point uh, is sometimes disregarded by uh, observers outside of Russia. Uh, those networks you just mentioned, uh, they uh, were as extensive as comprising more than one million people in the Soviet Union. Those networks have never been uh, dissolved, actually, and as far as I know, uh, under uh, Putin regime, they've been reinstalled and reinforced. So uh, now uh, we have even more uh, extensive and more sophisticated system of monitoring, supervising, etc., etc., Mm -hmm. Although that may again be not so much visible from outside. So basically, they've modernized the system. They have guided the process of the changes to create a more sophisticated system that does not appear to be controlled by the KGB and its secret structures from outside Russia, but from inside Russia, someone who was sort of in a, in a position to watch this unfold. You've seen a great deal, haven't you? I mean, you've seen a lot of this firsthand. During recent years, uh, the results of uh, that restoration have become more than uh, apparent. We've been deprived of uh, independent media that actually uh, last remnants of uh, democratic uh, procedures institutions have been uh, demolished. Uh, Russian uh, uh, foreign policy have become more and more aggressive. Remember the events. Uh, around Georgia, Russian aggression there. But anyway, the huge uh, trouble with the current system in Russia is that it's absolutely untransparent. Uh, you never know what they actually have in mind. There is a great deal of unpredictability. You said the term untransparent, which means you can't really see into what they're doing. Absolutely, absolutely. 
What what are their plans? What uh, are they up to? That's a very serious problem, you know. Now, from what we can see, does the Kremlin see the United States as its main enemy? I would say they see the American society, American state as an enemy, because in terms of democracy or freedom, the American system, American the tradition as such, are the biggest challenge the Kremlin rulers have now. That's why they are desperately committed to protect themselves, and uh, as you know, the best way of defense uh, is offensive. Yeah. So, American society constitutes a threat to their form of society. Let's talk for a minute about what their form of society is. It's a police state, but it's a special kind of police state, isn't it? Yes. That would be the most uh, proper definition. That really is a police state. Yes, uh, we have a very extensive and sophisticated system of police control of uh, all kinds, both visible and not visible. Then, since they view us as an enemy, as a threat, because our system does not mix with this police system that they have, the Cold War continues, doesn't it? Of course. Uh, for many people, it uh, could be uh, not that easy to imagine that Cold War is uh, still there. However, the Soviet system, let me repeat, has survived. It, it has modernized itself. The new generation of rulers came into power, you know. And uh, the conflict between these two sides still does exist. The confrontation, uh, probably uh, we may use uh, a different term rather than the Cold War, which is not popular today. So that confrontation uh, continues. Yes, you're right. So the Cold War continues, the confrontation between the U.S. and Russia continues, but the Americans don't seem to be totally aware of this fact. With me is Viktor Kalashnikov, former KGB lieutenant colonel. We are talking with him. He is in Moscow and we we will be back after these messages. You're listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist. Some radio stations are just noise and chatter. WIBG 1020 AM is radio with a passion and purpose. From early in the morning to Grossman Afternoons, Chuck Betson Sports Saturdays, and Dan Klein South Jersey Insider. WIBG 1020, the area's first choice, plugging you into life. All right, we're back. I'm Jeff Nyquist. Uh, this is Outside the Box, and with me is Viktor Kalashnikov, a former KGB lieutenant colonel who worked for Soviet intelligence before the fall of the Soviet Union and has worked for the uh, presidential administration of Boris Yeltsin, and he's with us today. He's He's been writing a book uh, about the Soviet uh, elite and the transition from the Soviet Union to Russia, and we're very privileged to have him with us uh, on the show. Uh, I can't resist asking you, Victor, is Vladimir Putin the real boss in Russia, or is there a hidden level of dictatorship behind him deriving from these hidden Soviet structures that have survived the collapse of communism? He is quite substantial uh, part of the authority of this country. But uh, to my observation, 
Russia is not only a police state, I will just mention, it also highly militarized. And the military structures, uh, including the general staff of the Russian army and the military intelligence, uh, they seem to be the major players here, also because of uh, the war in the Caucasus, uh, because of the aggressive policy uh, against uh, the neighboring states, etc., etc. And as far as I can uh, uh, judge, Uh, by becoming even more militarized and even uh, gradually more aggressive, the role of the militaries behind uh, Kremlin's policy is uh, uh, growing as well. So what I hear you saying is that Putin is a very important authority figure in Russia, but he also shares power with the military and the generals, and the country is highly militarized. To my mind, probably Kremlin has become sort of hostage of uh, Russian militaries, you know. Uh, the military corporation is a huge and well-organized system. And starting with the Chechnya war and with the developments uh, in, the, in, in, in the Caucasus altogether, Russian militaries uh, launch uh, what we uh, may call real political business. Mm-hmm. So they penetrated the power systems, They uh, launched a number of media projects there, and of course they, uh, they've become quite important in all uh, sorts of businesses Russian way. So military is a very serious factor which we should not disregard uh, concerning the Russian situation. You now it's interesting uh, for those American listeners who don't uh, know the details, Russia's been involved in a kind of civil war in the Caucasus, in the southern part of the country. Yeah. Uh, in Chechnya. And the civil war has been going on now continuously, the Second Chechen War, since 1999. Uh, so that's, wow, that's a decade almost here. We're going to be in a few weeks. It's going to be 10 years. Um, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people have been killed. Uh, new weapons have been deployed there that have never been used anywhere else against human beings. So this war, let me see if I can clarify, is it true that the this war, this giant military demonstration in Chechnya, in southern Russia, has given the Russian military a more uh, powerful seat at the table inside the Russian power structures? Uh, exactly so. After withdrawing of uh, Soviet and Russian troops from uh, Western Europe, after the Soviets had to uh, leave uh, Afghanistan and some other places, the Chechnya Uh, delivered to them uh, a fair chance to reinstall their power position. And they actually uh, become indispensable uh, for the Kremlin. And as I already put it, uh, they were able to manipulate Russian policy. Is it it true that now with the military uh, doing some of the things it does, I mean, I've watched this even before the Second Chechen War began. There were indications that there was some kind of militarization project uh, sort of slowly being brought onto line in Russia. Has Russia been increasing its military and slowly sort of modernizing and, and doing things that indicate a long-term uh, plan to, to increase its military power? We clearly see uh, new uh, military projects and programs uh, being launched under Putin. We should uh, keep in mind the new strategies and so new armaments are in the way much more f- flexible, uh, much more uh, effective in many regards, and uh, we see that uh, Russian armed forces uh, have shown its ability around the globe again. 
uh, with Russian mm -hmm. planes and ships appearing at <laughs> uh, very remote, uh, remotest places uh, on globe. Uh, despite all the economic troubles uh, now in Russia, new uh, projects uh, uh, with regard to uh, uh, ship uh, buildings and uh, aircraft, etc., have been launched just recently, and I am sure they are going to proceed that way. Now, uh, in the, in America, we've had the impression that in Russia, there's there was more freedom of speech; that Russians are free to travel all over the world. I mean, what's happening with that? Are Russians not as free to travel, or were they never as free as advertised? Do they do they have freedom of speech in Russia? What can you tell me? Uh, with traveling abroad, uh, it's a funny story. This uh, the guy, the minister who is responsible for epidemics and that sort of thing, uh, he uh, because of some uh, troubles uh, with a new source of diseases in the United Kingdom, in America, elsewhere, he just. Uh, Introduce his bans for traveling uh, for children, for adults, etc., uh, etc. Et mm -hmm. And uh, also, they've been used that people, the officials in certain Russian regions, have been uh, deprived of the uh, uh, ability to travel just by withdrawing their travel passport. We, we have one. So, uh, step by step, we, uh, we see that constitutional uh, uh, right to travel, to leave the country is in some way more and more in doubts, and uh, I'm quite disturbed, not only myself, but uh, many people are disturbed by that development, you know. As far as media are concerned, uh, I'm sorry to say that it's uh, quite difficult nowadays to distinguish any independent media, except probably some uh, internet sites located outside Russia. National TV is uh, the biggest problem, of course, but it's uh, uh, quite apparent it's uh, propaganda misleading people, discussing the troubling uh, reality, and uh, the Russian TV, to my mind, plays quite a negative in uh, uh, terms of uh, social and uh, uh, political development in this country. So the Russian TV basically uh, helps to promote uh, government deceptions and misleads the people about what's really going on in the country? Uh, I was part of uh, an important TV program uh, in Moscow for uh, Russian minorities in other countries. Uh, actually, the text and the features we've been producing to show on our uh, daily programs, they were uh, edited by the Kremlin. And uh, there even was, a, in our team, a real KGB control. Actually, again, that was sort of manipulation. There is absolutely no way to say about uh, uh, independent uh, TV journalism in Russia today. So the, the KGB and the Kremlin were dictating the programming and what was said, and they would punish a journalist if they got out of line? Not only uh, just the KGB, also the high-ranking officials. Mm -hmm. uh, daily we've been getting a, a sort of guidance from uh, the presidential administration responsible for ideology and uh, propaganda. And, of course, uh, w with the KGB and Kremlin officials and presidential administration officials dictating to television, we know what an important role television plays. Yes. Was uh, troubles for our other journalists 
the number of those uh, killed and suppressed was growing and the uh, majority of that cases has not been properly investigated. Well, in the case of Anna Politkovskaya, the Russian journalist who was shot to death uh, outside her apartment in October of 2006, there's been no real finding out of who those killers were. And there are signs that uh, influential forces uh, in this country are absolutely not interested to investigate that case. And, of course, Paul Klebnikov, the Forbes journalist yeah. in Moscow, he was gunned down on a Moscow street. Did they apprehend anyone for that? As far as I know, up till the moment, uh, the case is uh, unresolved. Now, uh, Paul Klebnikov, he was shot in the summer of 2006 or 2005, do you remember? Yes, Earlier than 2006, yeah. Yeah. So, tell me, is the Russian public being fed anti-American propaganda? Are they being uh, fed anti-capitalist, anti-democratic? What, what exactly is the propaganda consist of? Our propaganda is definitely uh, anti-Western and uh, uh, always pointing at the West and the source of all problems and troubles uh, facing Russia. And uh, the American policy that uh, they behind uh, independence of uh, uh, neighboring countries, Ukraine, uh, Georgia, Baltics, etc., and they directing those countries against Russia and so on. The American way of life is presented in quite distorted, derogative way, so that probably make uh, Russians against that uh, very system. And uh, as far as capitalism and democracy are concerned, we should uh, uh, keep in mind the Russian way of doing capitalism. Actually, capitalism as a free market economy is not a popular issue, not a popular topic nowadays in Russia. So actually, uh, the viewers, the audiences are brought to the idea that uh, capitalism as a free market economy is not the most viable solution uh, for, for the economic problems facing now Russia, you know. Yeah, and, and how serious are Russia's economic problems? I mean, we hear in this country, you know, the vice president of the United States was over there and he made some comments about it being so much worse, the economic troubles, and, and there's sort of the idea that Russia could destabilize much easier than, for example, the United States in these times. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I would agree with uh, quite a number of uh, experts uh, which see Russia as a sort of humanitarian catastrophe. Simply, if you uh, consider life uh, expectancy in this country and uh, huge numbers of uh, suicides and uh, low living standards in various parts of Russia and uh, quite considerable numbers of millionaires and billionaires, mm -hmm. on the other hand, Uh, the road network in Russia is diminishing. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we see growing number of uh, uh, very expensive villas and uh, expensive cars on uh, uh, the streets of Moscow and uh, probably St. Petersburg and elsewhere. But that picture, uh, that presentation on wealth in biggest city, especially in the capital, is quite misleading. If you just go further into Russian provinces, you immediately see how difficult and sometimes desperate situation is there. Instead, to put more money into improving the situation of ordinary Russians there, the Moscow government is eager to uh, proceed with its uh, uh, projects in terms of armaments, of 
manipulating Western media, etc. So is 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 the association of these uh, wicked wealthy people who are hogging all the wealth uh, associated with an anti-capitalist message that's being given to the country? And is the country then being prepared for a return to socialism? You know, uh, it's again a, a complicated story. They're so much interconnected with uh, both local and uh, central authorities. So on the other hand, the corruption of them is is uh, uh, quite notorious. Mm-hmm. All of them are engaged uh, into businesses, mainly consisting in redistributing uh, national wealth. Uh, so there is sort of mixture, uh, bureaucracy with uh, quasi-private businesses and the uh, intermingling uh, between each other, etc., etc., were were the uh, Russian oligarchs the wealthy billionaires in Russia? Were they picked as by the KGB or the Communist Party structures to be fronts to interface with the West and to portray capitalism in a negative light in the long term? You probably mean uh, those uh, oligarchs uh, active with the media, etc. Yes. So the point is that they were predominantly former secret police officers. Ah. Actually, uh, the KGB, GRU, and that sort of thing, they were uh, major sources of such company, and actually that is the situation we are facing now. Hmm, interesting. And where is the Kremlin leading Russia today? Is Russia headed towards conflict with the United States? Is it is it allied with China? Is it going to uh, try to dominate Europe? Is it going to try to destroy the dollar as an international currency for advantage? Well, where are they headed? Uh, some of those things uh, are correct in my mind. Some others uh, I would uh, see uh, differently. Definitely, there is an alliance with China, also a military one, with a quite distinct anti-American aspects. As far as the conflict with America is concerned, uh, so far I would doubt that uh, Russia is going to launch a major military uh, conflict or major military attack uh, against uh, America or or, or NATO. That's uh, hardly possible. Anyway, uh, Russia will be engaged into subversive activities and uh, uh, all of us have been uh, witness of attempts made to undermine the in- independence of Ukraine, for example, as a transit country of gas uh, towards Western Europe. Uh, definitely just uh, pursuing same uh, quite uh, 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 subversive and sometimes even aggressive uh, priorities, yeah. So Russia is... Um seeking to expand its power with it they don't want a war in Europe but could they possibly could they possibly want something bad to happen to the United States that would knock the United States out as a major power uh, there were continually uh, wishes expressed that uh, Americans get in, even into more trouble with the economies that uh, American system would or should break down that the United States uh, ultimately should be uh, uh, deprived of the ability to control uh, one of the major currencies or just that the dollar should be put aside and some other sorts of world currencies 
uh, with participation of China and some other uh, states should be introduced, etc., etc. So uh, the, the American position in the world finances is a very unpleasant uh, thing uh, for the Kremlin as they understand that a lot of uh, uh, things in this world they depend on the state of American economy or the American finances. And many experts uh, would agree that actually if uh, ever Russia, Russian economy would have chances, uh, let's say, for improvement, uh, let alone survival, they probably uh, would uh, welcome and probably they are doing something toward that uh, direction to uh, undermine uh, America's uh, economic potentials by whatever means they might have. Do you, do you think that the leading strategists in Moscow... Uh, think that the U.S. economy is going to derail and that uh, the U.S. Uh, political system will destabilize? Are they are they actually thinking this is going to happen? They hardly believe that uh, America is heading towards a major catastrophe. Still, uh, you may uh, uh, watch on the Russian TV or read in Russian papers the problems uh, now Americans going through with the economy are presented as a sort of sensation uh, uh, pointing on them look they uh, again have serious troubles and those troubles are about to grow and hopefully they are going to be even more difficulties etc etc so uh, that's a sort of propaganda you know and uh, on the other hand, I repeat, is uh, very dependent uh, on it. Hmm. Very good. Well, I want to thank you, Victor. And I understand Marina Kalashnikova is there with you. Yes. yes. It's your wife. Hi, Marina. Um, I'd, I'd like to introduce Marina to uh, our listeners. Marina Kalashnikova is a historian and journalist. She's worked for publications like Commerçants and research organizations like the Rand Corporation in the United States. She has interviewed Russian generals, spy chiefs, and ministers, and has unique insights into Kremlin policy. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you, Marina, is it your sense that uh, Russia is strengthening its armed forces at a time when budgets are contracting and U.S. plans are to decrease the size of its armed forces? Uh, you know, uh, the military power has been preserved uh, by uh, the Russian militaries uh, since uh, the uh, dissolution of the Soviet Union. M military power uh, has remained intact. Mm -hmm. The military-industrial complex uh, has preserved uh, their forces and positions. So the Russian military has remained strong, and they are preserving their position. Yes. And the Russian armed forces have strengthened themselves and are, have gained a certain political influence. We, we discussed that with Victor earlier. Um, do they see America as their enemy? I'm trying to get a grip on this, what, what it is that they want. You know, an American would say, oh, that's ridiculous. Why would the Russians want to, Russian military want to pick a fight with the United States or get ready for the United States or be hostile to the U.S. or think any negative thought about us? Because we in America, we have only goodwill for Russia. We don't wish Russia harm. We don't plan any war against Russia. What is what is their beef? Why do they, you know, there are these militarists not like us? Is it just the, the momentum of the past? Is it just that they've inherited this hatred of the U.S.? I would say that the United States uh, is the indispensable part uh, of uh, their 
their policy and their propaganda. So uh, they pursue that and uh, they keep that as uh, uh, the main uh, heart condition and uh, uh, the main uh, slogan of their deeds. Mm-hmm. So it's the main slogan of their deed. It's their focus. Their, their propaganda is focused against the United States, which implies that they think there's going to be a future conflict with the United States. Yes, uh, they... Um come out uh, with the uh, thesis that this is uh, unavoidable and uh, discuss uh, publicly the uh, possibility of uh, a few small successful wars and uh, one major war and the major enemy remains of course the United States and all these uh, small wars such as the conflict in Georgia, Ukraine or the Baltics are only some preparations uh, for uh, the major the United States. So what do you think that these militarists and what do you think that the Kremlin in general, people like Vladimir Putin, really think about uh, President Barack Obama? How do you think they react to him? Uh, you know, the, uh, Obama is uh, really a new type of presidency, which they do not uh, understand, and they still haven't elaborate how to react uh, to that very energetic uh, new type of uh, dealing with uh, with uh, Russia. So, so Obama, uh, Obama really cuts cuts against the old propaganda that they believed. Like they believe that America is this racist, imperialist country, mm-hmm. militaristic country that's their enemy. And here we have a black American president who wants to do away with nuclear weapons, wants to shrink armaments across the world. And they look at him and they go, oh, no, this guy is the opposite of what we've told everybody the Americans are about. I guess that the uh, Russian uh, propaganda, including the Kremlin uh, officials, they are very much confused because for many years, for a long time, uh, the propaganda against the USA was uh, based around repressions uh, of uh, Africans. And so they are still confused how to proceed and how new propaganda should be built. So they, they haven't figured out how to attack this president because so many things about him completely destroy their cliches yes. and their, their propaganda aimed at the U.S. for years. So it, it really, in a way, they were really set back by Obama being elected president. Yeah. And uh, uh, about this, uh, this recent Obama going to Moscow on this uh, summit, uh, do you have any idea of how the... Russian officials reacted to meeting him and interacting with him. That they do, do they think he's smart? Do they think that they'll have an easy time dealing with him? Are they afraid of him? What what are they thinking? I think that they are afraid of the uh, new trends in the American politics. They do not understand them completely because they are too unusual. I mean, the style of Obama seems uh, unusual for them. And uh, they try to speculate uh, how to re- uh, whether, whether there is the, uh, the hidden agenda behind the new administration. Russians are inclined to the conspiracy uh, theory. And so every new approach and style 
uh, immediately becomes the uh, point of uh, conspiracy theory. So the Kremlin officials and uh, uh, analysts, uh, as well as the, the media, speculates uh, the hidden agenda uh, behind such open and transparent style of dealing things with Moscow. Uh, with me is Marina Kalashnikova. She's a historian and journalist. We're talking to her. Uh, she is in Moscow. And uh, I'm Jeff Nyquist. I'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist. WIBG 1020, live, local radio for Atlantic City, Cape May, and all of South Jersey. All right, it was one time kick, they blew it, but the Vikings right there to feel it. I think it takes guts to come out like you are doing right now. And if all of us will listen to this station more, I'm just so keyed up about it, we talked about it by the hour. We are going to pursue this until we're satisfied. WIBG 1020, on your radio, online, or on your cellular. WIBG 1020, we're everywhere. Okay, and we're back. I'm Jeff Nyquist. This is Outside the Box, and with me is Marina Kalashnikov. She is in Moscow, and we are interviewing her about Russian politics and the current situation. Uh, you know, Marina, it's very interesting uh, what you just said, and I am thinking now that uh, perhaps the Russian leaders are wondering why they should be enemies with the United States, uh, and yet you, you've pointed out that they are willing to entertain conspiracy theories that the United States, that everything is sort of an elaborate game with us. And could it be that the Russian leaders, because they're conspiring against the United States, are perhaps paranoid of us because they're planning something bad against the United States? You know, it's like a thief who uh, he's afraid that other people are going to steal from him because he's constantly thinking of how to steal from others. And so that this paranoia on the part of Russian leaders is almost like a confession. Uh, yes, uh, uh, that's what we uh, have inherited from the Soviet times. And uh, when Yeltsin uh, was in power, the period of uh, transformation uh, gave a short break when the Russian foreign policy planning was uh, practically free from paranoid approaches. And that was the time uh, when Kremlin restricted the paranoid ambitions of the militaries. But with Putin in Kremlin or in our White House, we uh, reinstalled completely this paranoid uh, approach to the United States and the enemy. And I would say that to a certain extent the aggressive foreign policy planning was uh, restored uh, in our decision-making um, institutions. So uh, we, we inherited the new generation uh, of our uh, leaders' approach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's very interesting to me that these countries that the Soviet Union would have supported around the world, like Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, uh, Daniel Ortega now in Nicaragua, the, the president, Evo Morales in, in Bolivia, South Africa, uh, Angola, Congo, uh, Russia is still supporting what used to be called the communist bloc, including having an alliance with China. Is this because they're dedicated to uh, creating a new alliance to overcome the United States through 
uh, uniting with all these countries, or is it just a residual thing from the Cold War that they cannot give up their old concepts? Both. I would say both, because um, now they restore, uh, restart, I would say they restart uh, the relationships with all uh, allies, uh, former allies uh, from the Cold War you mentioned, and the special stake is made on China as the ally mm-hmm. uh, in the discussion who could be uh, the uh, most uh, beneficial ally. The United States or China. China, of course, has gone the price, and um, China has won. The Russian foreign policy planners uh, make a, the major stake on uh, China, and uh, the Russian government develops the relationships starting from the economic and uh, arms uh, uh, sales, and uh, so uh, the main stake has been made on on China rather than. The United States, though uh, there were some voices who claimed uh, to uh, revise all the approaches and views and change uh, the approaches to the United States uh, from uh, the enemy to the partner, just to look at the United States as a, as a, as a partner rather than the enemy. But uh, such voices were very few, so they were ignored. Hmm. So if, if China got into a war with the United States... Russia would support China. I guess uh, we can't exclude that. Mm-hmm. So the Russian military doesn't have any qualms giving uh, missiles and submarines and fighter technologies to China that might be turned against them in the future. No, they are not afraid of that uh, uh, because Russia believes uh, that they would be a reliable uh, friends. Mm-hmm. And it's it's because Russia has the energy resources that China needs, and China has this uh, desire to dominate in the Pacific that puts it in conflict with the United States. So it's a natural choice for neutralizing the U.S. so that Russia will have a free hand in Europe. I would say that uh, ideological motivation is much uh, stronger. So uh, I guess that uh, the uh, communist... Uh, principles and ideas, they bring them together much closer than the energy supply factor, because in this Chinese uh, uh, economy, the oil supplies uh, are not so much uh, important, I would say. Mm -hmm. You know, in Russia, ideology always prevails over the economic factor Uh in communication and building uh, relations with China, because... Uh, Russian uh, behavior sometimes very illogic uh, looks that way from the uh, Western standpoint. So it's uh, very difficult for uh, foreign policy planners, people who make uh, decisions. They expect one thing, and uh, Russia behaves in quite a different way, sticking with the communist ideology. Uh-huh. You know, um, the American audience and uh, officials uh, should know that in Russia, ideology always prevails. So there is a common communist cause with the Chinese, and that explains why they support Hugo Chavez and uh, Daniel Ortega and the ANC in South Africa and so on. Yes, but uh, of course uh, the uh, geopolitical reasons also exist, you know, yes. because they need the network of military bases, of uh, resources bases, but in uh, propaganda and in, in uh, military planning, the factor of uh, communist partner and ideology 
is is the basic one. Yes, wow, amazing stuff. You know, Marina, you wrote uh, last August after the uh, invasion of Georgia by the Russian army a fascinating essay about the nature of Russian militarism, that this was so deep into the system and that it was so dangerous. Perhaps you could uh, you could tell us a little bit about your views on this and and why Russia is aggressive and what what it is in the psyche of these people what it is about the system that makes it move in this direction. Jack, Russian militarism is a historical uh, part of society, very cruel and harsh and uh, uh, aggressive. Going back to to the uh, Tsarist uh, regime, when uh, Russian military officers were uh, part of the intelligence of the society, the Soviet history, including the civil war, made this part of society. Mm-hmm. The military-industrial complex is uh, a cruel thing, cruel both for all potential enemies outside uh, the country and for the uh, people, I mean ordinary people, which were in, involved into uh, implementation of uh, the aggressive strikes of the general staff, the generals. They uh, behave themselves as barbarians. They uh, are preoccupied with regaining their power. So uh, with such an approach, the uh, Russian militaries behave as uh, the barbarians and murderers. So so they're, they're barbarians and murderers, and they don't really care about money, do they? They care about power and the ability to, to kill their enemies. They don't care about money because they have uh, huge flows of money always. And uh, that is uh, the sacred cow uh, which uh, they they got. Uh, they have main flows of money. They earn money from arms sales, and they earn money from the interior sources. Uh, so they don't care about money. Because Russia is their expendable instrument for getting whatever they want, money or power or whatever. Yes, uh, I remember my, my talks with military technique designers, and they said that uh, in Soviet times uh, they got uh, millions and millions of rubles, and they they could extend their uh, budget to any size. And they and they didn't care about the human cost of doing that. Absolutely. And uh, now, after the Yeltsin's period of transition, they got absolutely all advantages and resources, uh, both internal and uh, external sources. So they regained such uh, positions. And now, in the period of restoration, uh, they obtained the huge power and uh, have their unstricted, unbridled ambitions. So they have un constrained, unrestricted ambitions and power, and they're using it to do what they've always done, basically, is to prepare for war and to use Russia as an instrument in its preparation for war. Yes, exactly. Hmm. That's fascinating, Marina. That is fascinating. Jack, militaries preserved their secrets uh, with a real cruelty. I know managers or designers or um, uh, journalists who covered uh, arms sales. They paid with their lives for the secrets which they touched. Almost like the pharaohs, the pharaohs of Egypt, 
who, when they died, would have their servants buried with them. Yes, exactly. In Russia now, they bury the people who created the secret weapons, they bury them with uh, the secret so that the rest of the world won't know what they've been working on. Uh, you know, uh, I looked into investigations of our designers and um, scientists uh, who dealt with the nuclear boom and uh, with the rocket, with the space exploration. The investigations reveal very strange uh, circumstances in which uh, they died. Hmm. So it looked that at a certain moment they uh, they became the unfavorable figures and the very cruel uh, huge military machine didn't use all the chances to save their life or to prolong their life. So uh, they became victims of the frictions between the various groupings inside the regime. Mm-hmm. So that is the destiny not only of the ordinary uh, people, but uh, well-known journalists from Commerçant Publishing House who, who covered the military issues. Also, celebrities such as Karolev and Kurchatov died victims of uh, the internal, uh, I would say, civil war within the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. It eats its own. Yes, yes, it eats its own. Well, Marina, I'd like to thank you and Victor. It's very brave of you. You're in Moscow, you're in Russia, uh, and, of course, it's very dangerous to speak the truth about what's going on in Russia, especially when you're in Russia. And uh, I think you're very brave. I think Victor is very brave. And uh, I want to wish you all the best. Thank you. We would be very happy to tell some more uh, things and share our insights from here. Oh, yes. Well, we would love to. And I hope you and Victor will come on the show again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Marina. listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist. I want to say to our listeners that Viktor Kalashnikov and Marina Kalashnikova have been very brave to come and bring this message to Americans. This is not without risk for themselves. I mean risk to their lives. Russian journalists have been killed for trying to give similar warnings to the West. Journalists like Anna Polikovskia and, of course, the KGB defector Alexander Livanenko. It's very important that Americans listen when these people who risk their lives to give this message come forward. You may not realize this, but the persecution of the Kalashnikovs is serious. In fact, the Russian authorities forced Marina Kalashnikova into a psychiatric clinic for 35 days in May of this year and uh, threatened her and told her to stop her communications with foreigners, to be a housewife, and to leave political subjects alone. By her appearing on this program, she has violated the orders of Russian authorities for her to shut up. So when somebody risks their life to warn you, when she is living in Russia, in Moscow, where the secret police can get at her and can do almost anything to her, it's very important for you to take what she says seriously. I will be back with closing analysis after these messages.
On air or online, we're Life Radio 1020 WIBG. Christian news talk with purpose and passion from early in the morning. Now in life, you're allowed to support whoever you want, but in partisan politics, there are rules. To Grossman Afternoons. Someone suspects they're an illegal immigrant. The cop is more afraid of arresting them than of letting them go. Chuck Betson Sports Saturdays. That's how you're battling it. I like that. We're not going to ignore it. And Dan Klein, South Jersey Insider. I think that's more than reasonable. I certainly, you know, we're talking about $12 million here. I don't think any reasonable person would blame you one bit. WIBG 1020, the area's first choice, plugging you into life. We're at the end of the program, and you've heard the Kalashnikovs. You've heard them describe the situation that we're in. What I think was perhaps the most stunning thing that was said tonight was when Marina Kalashnikov described why Russia and China are allied. I asked her the question, how come Russia would give China these advanced weapons, trust China with things that could be turned against Russia? Is it because China has an interest in expanding in the Pacific and Russia's interest is in expanding into Europe and that they see this as a good partnership? No, she said, that's not primarily it. It's the fact that the leadership of both countries share a common communist ideology. What's really fascinating about this is that KGB defector Anatoly Galitsyn said years and years ago that China and Russia were secretly allied throughout the period in which we thought they were at odds and that Russia and China were preparing for a future time of what Galitsyn called one clenched fist when they would unite under common communist principles against a weakened United States. Galitsyn said at this period the United States would be suffering from an economic crisis and that Russia and China would employ special economic weapons against the United States and that the United States' political independence would be at stake. There is also another defector named Jan Sena, who in his 1982 book, We Will Bury You, wrote about a long-range Soviet plan in which he said they'd envisioned a future economic crisis in the United States. And at this time, they envisioned that a progressive president would be elected. A progressive is a code word for socialist president would be elected into the United States. They called him a transitional figure between the time when the United States would maintain its independence and the time that the United States would be effectively conquered by socialism. This is all very interesting when we see how Russia and China have combined. If it's true that they retain the old communist ideology, then the economic crisis of today is not just an ordinary economic crisis. It is seen in communist terms by the Russian and Chinese leadership as an opportunity to overturn not only the capitalist system, but to destroy the political independence of the United States and the Western countries and make them subject satellite countries, just like Eastern Europe was, during most of the Cold War. I am Jeff Nyquist, and I hope you'll join me next week for another edition of Outside the Box. Today our country faces serious challenges, challenges that require clear, informed thinking, thinking that's outside the box. Your host, Jeff Nyquist. To the ones that wear the uniforms, to the ones that lost their lives, to a nation that's been torn God hears your painful cries I will stand with you, my friend For justice will amend America
I'd like to remind the listeners to visit my website at jrnyquist.com, and there you'll find a link to access all my columns on Financial Sense, my past columns at WorldNetDaily and SierraTimes.com and other Internet publications. So I encourage all the readers to go there. There's lots of information on my website. It's a great resource, and I hope you'll visit it. jrnyquist.com. That's J-R-N-Y-Q-U-I-S-T.com. You were listening to Outside the Box with Jeff Nyquist. Oh, man.